There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello, you're very welcome to the Mick Clifford podcast, which is coming to you twice a week now during the general election campaign. There will simply be no getting away from us. So joining me today, we have the Irish Examiner's political editor, Danny McConnell, to run through the campaign so far and how things are going. How are you getting on with the campaign, Danny? Uh, well, Mick, it's it's riveting, and uh, but you know, it, at least it's a short and snappy election campaign rather than a drawn out uh, ordeal. So, but it's been fascinating so far, and obviously we've had two polls, um, which we've had to kind of pour over and delve into and be nerds as we as we are. Um, but you know, there's a long way to go yet. There it is. Fascinating. It's certainly fascinating for us anoraks. Let's just hope that everybody finds it equally fascinating because, look, let's face it, it is a very basic aspect of democracy and what is a small bit worrying at times is the way people take it for granted. The number of people you meet and say, I couldn't be bothered voting. Mm. Well, go look at the even the recent controversy we had over history and see what people did to vote. Anyway, uh, two polls. I think the big one and I think the one probably, I think it would be fair to say, notwithstanding differences that people will be taking most attention of, is the one published uh, on last night, Monday evening at 10pm by the Irish Times. Mm. Yeah, so obviously there are two polls, one on the Sunday Times on Sunday, uh, Behaving Attitudes, which showed a 12-point lead for Fianna Fáil over Fianna Gael. Um, which was taken, it was sampled before the election was called. Yeah, and over a much longer period of time, which you know obviously kind of dilutes the impact of, of that particular poll. The Irish Times poll was done over a three-day period last week after the election had been called. So that's a crucial kind of you know change. It was done after the election had been called in polling you know, in kind of sampling section or points all over the country uh, and it showed a much narrower gap. Fianna Fáil still in the lead at 25% but Fianna Gael down 6 to 23 which would give, while I suppose Fianna Gael would be disheartened to see such a slump of 6%, they'll be heartened to see, for their point of view according to this poll, they're still very much in the race. Yeah, and Sinn Féin is obviously I think is a huge part of the story. We'll come to that in a minute. One quick thing, Danny. That was sampled from recollection at the time when you had the issues in particular about that horrific story about that man who was effectively um, assaulted, or he certainly uh, not intentionally, with the mechanical digger at the, on the canal, mm. and the poor man had life-changing injuries. It was a horrendous reflection of the homeless situation. The digger was there to get rid of, of what they thought were completely abandoned tents. At the same time, you had that horrific murder of the teenager and, and what was done with his body and you had further incidents of extreme violence. Do you think that fit into it or are we talking about more a long-term attitude towards Fine Gael, would you imagine? Actually, and just to point out to people, the previous poll from that series of polls with the Irish Times was last October. October yeah. So it was six down since October. Yeah, so I suppose a bit of context here. The, the poll in October was taken in the middle or just after the deal between Boris Johnson and Leo Varadkar on the Brexit so, and there was a clear Brexit bounce for the government in that poll. Leo Varadkar's personal rate, rating went up you know, by 15 points uh, and the government's rating went up you know, uh, pretty substantially as well. That, that, that rise has evaporated again very quickly. The six-point drop, 
my experience with polls, Mick, is that they're never that instantaneous in terms of, you know, live events. There's always a kind of a, a lag period. But even with that lag period, you, what you're looking at is Fine Gael had a pretty disastrous start of the year. You had the trolley numbers, you know, uh, the high trolley, but also you then you had the impact of the RIC commemoration debacle where ultimately the, the event had to be shelved because of, you know, the public fallout and controversy relating to it. I would think they're probably the two major issues that were feeding, you know, feeding into the that drop in in, in Fine Gael support. But I, I've been pretty consistent on this though since since the Octo- since since the autumn. They're nine years in government. People are getting pretty sick and tired of it. And I think there's a fatigue element uh, kicking in. Um, and I think also as well there is a desire for change. I think that's palpable. I mean, I've done an awful lot of canvassing in my own, you know, walking with candidates in my own area in Dublin Central, and you're seeing it kind of re- repeatedly that you know they they kind of don't dislike. Pascal Donoghue or, you know, the kind of incumbents, but they kind of think, right, you've had a long long enough shot at it um, at nine years. So, um, but what will be fascinating to see whether or not, you know, and this is where I think the trend of polls will be very interesting to watch, is whether or not that gap between Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael is that tight or whether or not it opens up again. Um, because I think privately Fianna Gael will concede they are behind and that's because, you know, where they are, they find themselves in the political cycle. But whether or not they can either close that gap or overtake Fianna Fáil, yeah, uh, they had a you know, rocky enough start to the campaign. Fine Gael, like you know, their their focus on Brexit didn't seem to really kind of uh, kind of land particularly well. They've certainly changed tact since the weekend. You're seeing a lot of kind of domestic issues like health, housing. Yeah, you know, we've had a kind of a slew of giveaway promises over the last two or three days. So it's taken on a different dynamic this week, and whether or not that actually feeds into a change of mood or sentiment toward them. Obviously, the leadership debate, the first leadership debate tomorrow night will be key uh, and to see whether or not Leo Varadkar can acquit himself against a master debater in Micheál Martin, you know, the kind of the veteran, you know, politician. So there's, there are many elements in all of this, but Fine Gael have a really hard sell. You know, we're looking for a third term is incredibly difficult. And that's very interesting because one of the reasons from what I could observe that um, Fine Gael elected Leo Varadkar as their leader over Simon Coveney was there was a perception that he had a, a, he was a better bet in terms of reaching out during election time and getting them for a third term. Mm. Two things about that. First of all, in, on one hand, you could say that Varadkar is unlucky to be the man in possession when they're going for a third term, which, as you say, is really, really difficult to do, and he wasn't the man in charge for the first or second term. But the other thing is... Um, they must be wondering now whether they were correct in if that was the main driving force in picking him, whether he was exactly the right man to be bringing them into an election. Well, I, I, there's two things I'll come back to you on, on that. Is one, um, you're absolutely right. I mean, the 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 the, the pitch from Leo Varadkar's team was he's a vote winner, he's a getter. You know, he he will connect with the public the way Enda Kenny never could. So he's he'll he'll deliver us to the promised land of a third term. The problem is, is that. For the first year and a bit of Leo Varadkar's uh, tenure, that seemed to be on track. They're, they had a substantial lead consistently, poll after poll, over Fianna Fáil. Just looking at the trend of the Irish Times polls, it was at 11 points at one stage in late, Dece- in late December 2017. It fell back a bit to 8% in October 18 when there was a, an awful lot of speculation that an early election would be called. Since then... You know, once the decision was taken not to call an election, that lead has evaporated and has, has twisted and, and has flipped into a Fianna Fáil lead. So what you're now getting is, I think, as I said to you earlier on, is this sense that we've been here, they've been there too long. Um, and there is a kind of a comparison have been made repeatedly is, you know, like Gordon Brown, when he was prime minister, you know, he had sort of momentum behind him. There was a sort of a build up to whether he would call a snap election there. He didn't. 
and essentially his lead evaporated and the Conservatives essentially defeated him in, in 2010, albeit in a hung parliament situation. Um, and, you know, there is a question, a lingering question, is did Leo Varadkar miss his opportunity to get that third term when he had that sizable lead over Fianna, Fianna, Fianna Fáil? His own personal satisfaction ratings were far and beyond uh, what Micheál Martin was. And he's never gotten that back. And as old veteran politicians have said to me, you know, who've been in this sort of position before, when the political mood is against you and the tide goes out, there really is nothing you can do to get it back. And that brings into play one of his main rivals, and it's only one because there's controversy over how many rivals there are there in terms of, of, of the main parties. Michal Martin, uh, we know the story of Lazarus. Is this the second greatest comeback of all times, including that man? Well, for many years... It was being written about him, and I think I wrote about him several times, that he, would he be the first Fianna Fáil leader never to be Taoiseach? Um, he has outlasted, outwitted, outstayed many of his, inter- his own internal critics in his own party. At every election that he has uh, contested as leader of Fianna Fáil, he, except now discounting the 2011 election because he had only just taken over, but I'm talking about the 24, 2014 local elections, the 2016 general and the 2019, Fianna Fáil did better than expected, and they increased their share of the vote. So he has a record of success, you know, in terms of building and rebuilding the party. Um, you know, his his resurrection, you know, from uh, from the dark days, I mean, because he sat around the cabinet table for 14 years and when a lot of the, you know, the critically bad when decisions were taken. Easy yeah, exactly. Um, and I think that's still a lingering point. I think, you know, anecdotally, you're still hearing people have kind of some concerns. Do we really, are we ready to let Fianna fall back in and run the country given that they, their performance 10 years ago? Um, but this is a man you know, who overcome intense personal tragedy to stand for the Fianna Fáil leadership in 2010 and 2011 um, against the odds, has, has, you know, doggedly rebuilt his party, has stood against on a number of principal decisions uh, like the abortion referendum. He sided with the government over much internal criticism and that won him, I think, many plaudits. Um, but also showed him to be more decisive than he had been. I think he had long been labelled with this sort of indecisive kind of sitting on the fence sort of um, tag. But also as well, I think, in relation to the confidence and supply, again, he's done that through the gritted teeth of his party. I mean, there's been a lot of internal criticism of the length of time that they've gone, particularly his decision to give it an extra 12 months without getting any major concessions on the on the pretext of Brexit. Um, but if he gets over the line, and he would certainly be favoured as of now to be the Taoiseach of the next government, um, uh, you know, it would be a remarkable turn of events. The only question I would have about uh, all of that is, on, on these numbers, that, as we have them, Fianna Fáil are on course to get in around 55 seats. There is a long way to get to 80, which is the majority mark. And that would lead you to conclude that, you know, it's a reverse confidence and supply with Fianna Gael in, in the sort of the, the opposition seats. Does the grand coalition option come into play? That's highly unlikely that either party would stomach that. Or does a coalition with Sinn Féin uh, come into play because the numbers would, there, based on these figures in the poll, would be there or thereabouts a majority? Yeah, and just to deal with Sinn Féin, up seven in this, that is a serious leap. What do you put that down to? It's very hard to determine. And again, it's been one of the issues that a lot, the Anoraks have been scratching their heads on, you know, today and since the poll came out last night. Uh, we, we were asking ourselves, does it relate to the, the the restoration of Stormont? You know, has you know because I think they definitely took a One hit. One quick thing there, Danny. I I know this may not be what people want to hear, but I'm sceptical as to how much uh, interest and particularly preference or whatever down here there would be mm. about restarting Stormont. Maybe I'm off mark, but that would be my I th- punch. I think they certainly took 
a hit when Stormont had been in abeyance for so long. And I think there was an element of their commitment to government. The fact that they went back in may on some level kind of say, okay, uh, we might give them another look. The second thing is Sinn Féin have deliberately uh, pitched themselves as the only viable alternative to Fine Gael or Fianna Fáil. And after such a bruising day out at the local and Europeans last May, the party definitely has changed its pitch in terms of how it's... Um, addressing issues. It's far more constructive in its approach. It's less hostile. It's less angry than it, say, was previously. And maybe that is beginning to resonate with people who previously would have said, no thanks to Sinn Féin. And the only caveat I'd say about the Sinn Féin figure, and I still think that's a bit high, right? I'll say it for the following reasons. They never turn out or deliver the result that they do in polls. And on the, the heart of their day. constituency would seem to be particularly among those from the less well-off areas who yeah. don't vote yeah. and the youth vote, yeah. both of which, for whatever reasons, don't tend to vote yeah. to the same extent. Drilling down demographic. into the demographic figures in, in the wider, uh, the kind of the, 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 the more extensive book uh, connected with the poll, Sinn Féin are definitely, you know, stronger, strongest amongst the sort of lower educated, more working class areas. And as you say, there's always a question mark over their kind of commitment to going out to vote on the day. I would also suggest that I think the Fianna Fáil figure in the Irish Times poll it may be on the low side. Now, Fianna Fáil have traditionally polled lower than they have actually delivered on, on polling day. And I think so. I think what you might see is... The, the actual gap between Fine Gael and Fianna Fáil might be slightly larger than the poll showed. It was at two points in the poll last night. I think it could be closer to five or, five or six. But again, even that would give Fine Gael more heart than, I say, a 12-point gap because it's all over at 12 points. But with, you know, two and a half weeks to, left to go in the campaign, you know, you can overcome a five-point gap if you get your messaging right and you get your pitch right and you hope you get a bounce of the ball as well. OK, and one, one outcome from this poll is as far as Mary Lou MacDonald is concerned, as far as Sinn Féin is concerned, they believe, and they certainly make a very good case for it, that these figures show that there should not be on either Virgin Media One or RT mm. a two-way debate between Varadkar and Martin and that MacDonald should be in there with them on the basis that there are effectively three main parties bar the smaller parties. I disagree with their, their assessment on, on the following grounds. One, Leo Varadkar is the incumbent Taoiseach. Michal Martin is really the only viable alternative to him being Taoiseach because it's just inconceivable that Sinn Féin would in any case be the largest party in, the, in Dáil Éireann, so therefore she cannot be Taoiseach. So therefore it's a debate between two the two viable options as to who is Taoiseach. But do you, if you do that, Danny, do you play into a narrative? Do you heighten a narrative that this is a two-horse race, which in terms of the media's role, is that skewing the 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 vote the pitch to the voters. No, I think it's legitimate to say right if there are two people, as happens in the UK all the time, or happens in other countries, that if you turn around, you have a wider leaders debate. Two people that only represent about half the electorate. I take that point, but again, you half go the voters, yeah, not even half you, the electorate. But, but you go back to the I suppose the practical realities of the makeup of the doll. Only Fine Gael and Fianna Fáil, based on these current numbers, can lead the next government. And you would almost, because of the incumbency, Leo Varadkar has a right to be in that debate because he's the incumbent Taoiseach. The only, as I said, the only realistic figure who can lead or be the largest party and unseat him is Micheál Martin. If, if, like, there's nothing in this poll that would suggest that Sinn Féin would overcome Fianna Gael or Fianna Fáil. No, sorry, or certainly be the largest party in its own right come the next election. I challenge that in one way. 2011 election, okay, Michal Martin wasn't the incumbent Taoiseach. That's only because he took over the leadership of Fianna Fáil from mm. Brian Cowan, yeah. who was, so de facto, you could say on that basis, his party were the ones leaving government. 
I don't recall, and remember, because we were all expecting rightly that they were going to get smashed mm. at the polls. I don't recall there being a two-way debate between himself and Enda Kenny in 2011. Maybe I'm missing that now, but There's, if you were to play the same logic, do you yeah, know what I mean? But my own, but again, you're looking at, this is the first time since 2007 that we actually, actually have a viable contest as to who will lead the next government. There was no real contest in 2011 because we all knew Enda Kenny was going to be Taoiseach. You know, Fianna Fáil were imploding. Well, but let me put it another way. I'm going to push this with you now. Okay. Let me put it another way. Let me put it another way. As I say, Martin was the de facto yeah. exiting Taoiseach. Um, Enda Kenny was the only viable one. I don't recall there being a two-way debate then. I can't remember either off the top of my head, but what I will say is that um, in 2016, it was virtually certain that Enda Kenny was going to be re-elected as Taoiseach because Fianna Fáil had an awful lot. They were at 20 seats. There was no way they were going to make up that level of ground. They did better than we all expected and Fianna Gael did far worse than anybody expected. So the gap in the end was quite small. But there was no way Fianna Fáil were ultimately going to and be... there was no two-way debate in 16. Well, I th- my recollection... I, was, th- I think you're right. I don't think um, but I, I think it is legitimate, given in, in the context that you're going to have a, a seven-way leaders debate at the Clare Burns show next Monday in Galway, and and in Virgin Media and Virgin Media as well. You're going to have you're going to so the the rest of the parties will have a chance, and their leaders will have a chance to partake in a leaders debate. I think it's legitimate from a public interest point of view that the two men vying to be the leader of our country square off against each other and that from an anorex point of view and from a nerd, political nerd's point of view it'll be ultimately fascinating to see the two men two very two men who are really capable of thinking on their feet go toe to toe and you know trying to appeal to uh, th- like according to this poll there's 20% of voters who are undecided so and as you say you know a huge proportion of people ultimately only make up their mind as to who they're going to vote for in the, in the final days of a campaign. Okay, fair point. Um, now, that leaves us with one other issue just before we leave Sinn Féin and how well they've done in the polls. You mentioned in terms of your belief that Fianna Fáil you could be talking about on these figures about 55 seats, long way to go to the majority of 80. Do you see any prospect in terms of if the numbers were to fall that way, <coughs> any prospect of Fianna Fáil either under Michal Martin or under someone else going back on their stance that they would not go into government with Sinn Féin or, for that matter, Fine Gael, were, were they in a position to do so? Let's think back to 2016 where we had 70 days of torture sort of toing and froing as to who would be involved in the government. You had Enda Kenny offering the Grand Coalition. You had Enda Kenny offering a 50-50 split in Cabinet, a rotating Taoiseach. You had Enda Kenny looking at independence and all sorts of different options and ultimately the last option on the table saving a, another general election was a kind of minority government's confidence and supply deal I think based on these numbers there will be no clear outcome of the ne- of this general election so ultimately we're into another prolonged sort of battle as to who can get to 80 or as close to 80 as possible if it's a case that Fianna Fáil are the largest party um, Leo Varadkar will be caught in this unenviable position of being acting Taoiseach while essentially he's knowing he's on his way out of office um, and having to facilitate that in government buildings or wherever else you're going to facilitate that. But I think if Fianna Fáil, the Greens and whoever else can get to 70, the argument, you know, it would be very hard, I think, for Fianna Gael not to enter the space of offering a reverse confidence and supply because I just think if they were to reject that and force another general election, uh, I think the public might take a very sharp view of that, saying, well, you had an option. Fianna Fáil did it in the national interest in 2016. It, it's time to reverse the favour. Uh, or Leo Varadkar has made it clear that should Fianna Gael, by some miracle, manage to stay ahead of Fianna Fáil, they don't see that happening. They they will insist as the largest party they have the first right to, to form a government. But I, what I, what we saw at local level after the, the, the elections in May were, even though Fianna Gael were the largest grouping in several councils, 
everyone else got together to unseat them, you know, and kind of keep them out of power. Could that happen this time round? It is very likely. Okay, and at that rate, we're talking about, well, I wrote a comment to the effect that I believe there'd be very little change if the main party is Fine Gael or Fine Fáil and uh, irrespective of how the extra element mm. is made up. We'd have to, in fairness... There's it, a huge difficulty when minority government make is that an awful lot of contentious decisions did not get made. Yeah. And like you, like, uh, the prime example of that is third-level funding. The Cassell's report has sat on a shelf since 2016. Uh, water charges is another. Property taxes is another. These Wind are all farms is another. Separation distance, huge issue in so, rural so, Ireland. So there's a structural question to be asked from the Irish public's point of view is, you know, we flirted with this minority government for the case of stability, but real government and real difficult decisions, the sort of decisions that governments generally take in year one or year two of a five-year term because they know they're going to get slaughtered for them, will not get taken because... The fear is the House of Cards could fall at any time. And that's the real fear I have about another confidence minority government situation. Okay, no, we turn to policy and it has to be said a number of policies have been put out but we're not spending a lot of time on them for this simple reason. People sometimes go on that anoraks or journalists or whomever are interested in numbers and that. I have to say, in terms of policies, we've had a lot of stuff very little costed though and very little and to that extent you can describe as realistic, certainly until such time as manifestos, costed manifestos have been produced. But there have been some controversies and the one that seems to be boiling for the last few days, Danny, and on one level I'm amazed they didn't see it coming, is this business of pensions. Yeah, so one of the issues, and in fairness you have to give Sinn Féin the credit because they actually just... just discern this this kind of kind of wedge issue and it's this idea that if you're forced to retire at 65 but your pension won't kick in until 66 or 67 as as the case will be and the idea of forcing people who've worked for 40 years basically to take the dole for a year or two um and but it now seems that there's a divide between the public sector and the private sector that the public sector there's a mechanism that they will not have to do that, that I mean, it's a huge what you're talking about is if you're in the private sector and you're told at 65 thank you very much mm. goodbye you have to go out and get the job seekers allowance. Now, first of all, that's I think it works out about 2000 a year less than what the state pension would be for yeah. two years. Mm. As well, you have to nominally at least present yourself as if you're available for work when in fact you're actually retired. Tired, yeah. And yet, if you're in the public sector, they don't put you through that. They have an arrangement. To, and I'm, there's nothing wrong. With, I'm, the only point I'm making is that arrangement should be for everyone. But that divide is shocking when you think about it. And the fact they didn't see this was going to become an issue. One of the great legacies of the crash was that there was a very clear divide between the treatment towards public servants and private sector workers in terms of, you know, benefits between kind of, you know, the pay deals, etc. Like that. One of the most controversial aspects of the Brian Cowan government was his pursuit of the Croke Park deal in terms of that they guaranteed pay rights and pay, pay rates to public servants at a time when 250,000 plus private sector jobs oh, were lost. Public servants would have a different view of that, but... I take that, but yeah. I mean, I, I like, but again, they took, yes, like public service took, you know, pension levy hits, they took all sorts of different, you know, they took reductions in their pay. There's still, in terms of some areas, there's still discrimination in terms of uh, grades that came in after the crash and but teaching, again, for instance. Okay, but I will t- I'll take issue with, with that point, right? In Particularly in education. It was the public service unions who looked after the, their members who decided to pull up the ladder... Can't argue with that. You know, like there was a deal on the table and the department, and I remember going through the the issues time and time again, there was a deal on the table and the reunions approved it and they basically said, we'll keep, we'll keep as much as we can for existing members and new members will have to suffer. It was them who took the hit and created that, that, that uh, discrepancy or inequality. Now, if you were to hear them talking now, 
threatening strikes as they are, you would swear that this was all a government issue. So there's there, there's that issue. But I take the point, like I always thought, I remember arguing vociferously with Brendan Howland, who was the then Public Expenditure Minister. There were a number of clear anomalies throughout that time that were allowed to persist that were deeply unfair. One was the payment of increments all over the public service, irrespective of your grade. So you had people on 100 grand plus getting pay increases year on year in the teeth of a recession when you were cutting child benefit, when you were cutting carers allowance and you were cutting everything else. It was disgraceful in my view. Second of all, you had that inequity in terms of new nurses and new uh, new new teachers coming in on a lower rate. And we're still, nine years later, still talking about that inequality. And when you consider the amount of money that's now washing around, to fix that, it's low money. You're talking the tens of millions. It's not, it's not big money. But this idea that there's a kind of one set of rules for the public sector and another rule for the private sector is as old as the state, you know, in terms of that. You know, there's a kind of an old-fashioned view of whether you're self-employed or you're in the private sector that you're all creaming it, you're all making huge sums of money. The idea of what it is to be self-employed now compared to what it was in the 1920s or 1930s are vastly different. If you were self-employed in the 1930s, you are generally doing well, you know, on, on a big scale in terms of your local shop owner or whatever like that. The idea of a kind of a very small, you know, operation with one or two people, self-employed, and then getting with no safety blanket there at all, no benefits whatsoever, um, just is not in keeping. I think it's the sort of issue that really could come home and uh, Fine Gael could really feel the, feel the sharp end of that. Will it get sorted? Well, it's the sort of thing that you might see sorted, you know, but like Fine Gael don't see... It's too late, like, is it because they've... They, they, they've but like slippage I, has begun, you know. But I would certainly think that you know it's the sort of issue that that other political parties could capitalise on and 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 seek to kind of paint Regina Doherty, the social protection minister, as saying she's dropped the ball on yet another issue because there was the twenty twelve pensions anomaly that she promised she would have fixed ages ago. It's still lingering on. One thing about it, Danny, if and it seems to be the case, for instance, Sinn Fein, for one, are suggesting that their policy is that we'd go back to you'd get the pension at sixty five. Mm. Now, in general terms. And th- there is the anomaly between if you have to end work at 65, you don't get the state pension at 67. But in general terms, surely we have to be moving towards a scenario whereby the pensionable age, whether it be ending work or getting the state pension, rises for the simple reason that A, in terms of life expectancy, has hugely increased. Remember, when, when this kind of pension came in, the, the life expectancy was somewhere between the 60s and 70s. Now we're heading towards the mid-80s. And B, the ratio of those working to support people on pensions is decreasing all the time and it's going to decrease very sharply over the next 10 years. So if parties are now saying, no, no, we're going to leave everything at 65, that's storing up huge problems for the future. It is. Well, I was, I was very interested. I was listening to Patricia King on radio this morning talking about this very issue and she is very much strongly advocating along the lines of Sinn Féin that the age should be kept at 65. She basically says that um, tap into the USC, which brings in about three and a half to four billion a year, that could help fund the social f- social fund. She's looking at an additional wealth tax of those over a hundred grand. You know, to, should pay more into that fund. Um, and ultimately, she says there are discrepancies or anomalies within the system that basically mean you know that that that, that the, the fund is being kind of starved of about one hundred sixty five to one hundred seventy million a year. But I find it. I would agree with you that if we're living longer, we're going to work longer. Because I think, you know, I think there's an awful lot of people who actually like to work longer. I think there's an awful lot of people who resented retiring at 65. Um, but the option of whether there's a choice in the matter. I think one of the issues that came up over the weekend was this mandatory, you know, retirement at 65. And the cases, yeah. the cases in, in, in relation to RTE, like, um, you know, the David Avon Powers and the... And Anne Roper's case. I mean, that's going to be a very sizable decision because, uh, and very important decision because... You know, if people want to stay on and have a value, um, they should be allowed to stay on. Now, 
the ar- the counter argument from Morty is that you know you're kind of stopping younger people from getting in on the ladder. But I mean, if your career is now going to be over fifty years, then over forty years, making people retire at sixty five seems ridiculous. Okay. Uh, in general terms, Danny, where do you see things going in the next week? Will Fine Gael intensify things now that they seem to be coming from behind? Will Fianna Fáil sit back a bit? Will Sinn Féin put greater emphasis on trying to move further into the sort of the middle class areas to, to increase their vote? I think what you're likely to see, a lot of attention now on the two leadership debates and, and you know, the, the, the first one of those is tomorrow night. Um, I think what you're likely to see is a lot, like you're going to see the manifestos dropping. The full costed manifestos, as you said, are going to be dropping over the next week or so. And that will tell a lot because that's, that's everything. That's not just piecemeal say this is our housing, you know, budget or this is our health budget. It's everything. So it'll be it's kind of showtime for for all the for all the parties, and all of those policies will have to be tested, costed, and also assessed by by everybody to see what they're they're trying to do. And also, I think what will be most interesting will be to see well, which policies are compatible with each other in terms of future coalition options. In terms of messaging, Fine Gael have moved away from the Brexit argument, and they're clear. As I said, they're they're moving in very much into the more meat 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 and potato sort of idea of like housing, childcare, you know, pensions and stuff like. So that that's I think will dominate over the next week or so. For Sinn Fein, it's whether or not they can capitalise on the surge that has reflected in this poll, and whether or not they can deliver on that. And if they're going to really break through into the middle classes, they have to make sure they have to kind of I think push this idea of a viable alternative. Because I think there probably is an element within a lot of people who say, I'm kind of sick of Fianna Gael and do I trust Fianna Fáil to go back into government? And if Sinn Féin seem to have kind of abandoned the dark old ways of the past, um, then they may, they may get a surprise vote in, in more middle class areas. So um, I think what's unfortunate, I think, for a lot of the smaller parties is they're going to really struggle for airtime because it's such a presidential style election between Hall and Leo. Uh, I think they, I think the smaller parties like Labour, the Sock Dems, the Greens, to a certain degree, I think are likely to to struggle for airtime. The one thing I think the other big surprise is going to be keen, we're all going to be keen to watch is just how big the Green sort of resurgence is, because they would appear to be anecdotally a sort of happy halfway house between. If you're not happy to go to Fianna Gael or vote for Fianna Fáil, voting Green might be a viable alternative. Danny, that's great. Uh, I mean, definitely, I think there's a lot of excitement about it. I think it was, was it the Robert Duval character in Apocalypse Now proclaimed uh, in the middle of a major battle, uh, one day all this will end, unfortunately. That's some polling there the day after one day, the day to count. But for the moment, Danny McConnell, thanks very much. And Danny's going to be in with us a few times, many times between now and polling day. That's it for today, folks. I'd like to thank JJ Vernon on sound. You can subscribe to us on iTunes and Spotify and you can let me know what you think at mick.clifford.examiner.ie or on Twitter at, at Mick Cliff. Talk to you again soon. <laughs>